I got one that I wanted to talk about. Sure. That I've been thinking about for forever. Here's my take that I'm interested in hearing everybody discuss. I don't think that it matters if you are an active or a reactive player with the quality of play that you can provide to the table. I think you can be reactive or active and still bring the exact same high level of quality of play to the table as a player. Sure. I think, I think those two things have nothing to do with the quality of play that you provide. Yeah. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah, that was the my... The quality of play is not directly tied to the style of play. That's not what happened the last time we talked, because the last time we talked, it was the said that uh, you can't play a certain play style if you're reactive no. or, or active, which I think that's actually incorrect. Too. I don't yeah. think that's, I don't, I, one, in our previous short, I don't think that's the point we were trying to make. I, the, what we were talking about is being in sync between player and GM. Yeah. So if a player is reactive, then for that player, the GM will get the best quality material out of that player when they are active and let the player be reactive. If that player is active, then the GM's best will, play is to go reactive and let them come out. I will take this step further, but I'll let Jerry go first. Yeah. My take on it before was that there are players out there who are very reactive and that some GMs have thought that they weren't doing a good job because they, they thought that the other player wasn't getting a chance to do things when that player was just waiting for something to happen that they could react to. And so when you get players like that, the GM needs to identify them. The other players need to identify them because if you're an active player and you've got a very reactive player with you, then the active player can often have a lot of fun giving the reactive player things to react to. Yes. And helping yes. the GM out. Jerry made my point for me, so I don't have oh, to. Oh, okay. Yes, it's not just the synchronicity between the GM and that player. Yeah. It's everybody at the table has the opportunity to, to be part of that mesh so that the people who have a style that's different from mm -hmm. the others, they, they can play off each other. That was going to be my taking your <laughs> point one step further, Phil. It was like, it's not just about the player and the GM, it's about the player and the players and how yeah. they play with each other. Yeah, too. I was using an overly simplified well, that's, well, that's model. Cause the, well, that, well, that's because that's, that's great minds think alike, Chris. We just like put, putting it on you because we know how much you GM compared to how much you play, which is fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. But it's, it's, it's something that I've seen, and it's something that I've identified with different playing groups that I've had, that sometimes you just have to, as long as you've got a good active player who wants to engage... Uh, the rest of their party. If you get a player who's an active player, but they're also a spotlight hog, that can be a problem. Or if you get a an active player who wants to lead and lead in the I want to bring everybody with me kind of thing, those can be a lot of fun to be with. I've been in lots of games with Chris where in the middle of something, he'll just drop a in-character encounter with another player who hasn't done something for a little while just to get them back into the storyline. And yes, I catch you doing that as a player, Chris. It's that's good. because I'm a GM and that's how I GM. Yeah. So as a player, I'm like, yeah, I want to talk and I want to talk to another player. And I feel like that person hasn't said anything right. in a while. So then I just talk to the other player. Yep. Oftentimes, if, if it's done in a manner that works well for that table, you can often get a lot of story and campaign advancement through that interaction. Of course you can. I don't want to I mean, say right, because just having two characters yeah, sit I mean, there and role play with each other can just be fun. Well, also, we, we didn't talk about when we were, when we were talking about Dungeonist story, which yeah. is out <clears> at, at this point. We didn't talk about C plots and D plots or character plots, essentially. Yeah. Like character plots, that's a great way to push forward your character plots. Mm -hmm. plots is if you're an active player and you know that there's a reactive player, they haven't really got a chance to push their plot. You just turn to them and talk to them, especially when there's an opportunity to do that. I think that is a, a really good um, thing to think about if you are an active player mostly. Like, you, you, you can be more than one. You can be reactive. I was actually active. just thinking that. I was like, trying to think of what kind of player I am. And I know for a fact that I have played both ways. You're mostly reactive. You're and, like 70, 30. Yeah. And, and and some of that depends on like the character and the story that, that I'm in. Like if I'm not super familiar with my character yet, I may be way more reactive than active. 
because I'm not sure who I am yet, but it's definitely not an all or nothing. I think system mastery also has to do with that. Player, yeah, players, system mastery, yeah. players who don't feel comfortable with the with themselves in the game setting, even if they know their character, are often reactive until they learn the game set system. Oh man, I yeah. I hate when that happens to me. When I'm like, because I'm I'm pretty active. Like yeah. I just do stuff. Yep. I like to just do things. When I do a thing and I'm not super familiar with the game and I think it's supposed to work one way and it doesn't, I'm like, well, that was not what I intended. Yep. I hate when that happens because <laughs> I'm like, that's not where I was trying to try to accomplish or even like that wasn't even one of the options that I was thinking of. And it just feels off with what I was thinking of for the characters like arc. Cause I'm always thinking about that. Well, that brings us to Phil's game style, especially with games like Ox and Lice Black Agents, where one of the things that Phil will ask us in the game is what is it you're trying to do here before you, you know, you go to do something and he'll ask that's, that's good. What is it you're trying to accomplish here? Not critically like, why are you doing this? But more like, I can see you're going for something. Yeah. I want to make sure that what's about to happen next is at least in line with what you were looking for. And as a GM, that's a question Phil asks a lot. And it helps a lot in the game because really does. there are times when you are trying to do something and you think you're doing it one way. Like our last game session where Phil's like, oh, you don't have to roll for that. Your character is smart enough, skilled enough, knows this. Tell me what you want to find out and I'll tell you how, and I'll, and I'll work with you to show you how, how you know that information and we'll talk about it. it. And that works. Go ahead. It's funny. I've gotten so much out of playing Ox mm -hmm. from player side about like thinking about these ideas too and then going and playing, running the games that I am running and like pushing little things at the players and watching how people are reacting to each other and trying to get people to interact with each other and seeing how that goes and like mentioning some of that stuff and seeing that interplay that Phil is talking about between players at the table because GM is a player at the table. Mm -hmm. They get to play all the different things, which I, I love that because I can play all these different characters. Yeah. I, I've come to, to really enjoy Ox because I've actually gotten to play a character that feels like a character in a story. And uh, some of the theories that I've had about playing a character have mm -hmm. come true and some of them I've been dissuaded from and now understand better like how that stuff should probably work. It's been a really nice, one, it's been a fun-ass game. And two, it's been a really nice experience for like honing my craft, I suppose, as a game master and a player. Well, when you were running early, the early games that you ran with Bridget and Jen and I when I was playing, watching the interplay between the two of them as, a, as another player at the table and how you reacted them changed how I was jamming the games I was running on my on my own. Trying to encourage more of that table talk and just letting it happen instead of, no, no, wait, I've got a story to tell you. Know, just sit back and let the story unfold. Man, you know who taught me the most? A person that taught me one of the most important lessons about game mastering was Tom Flanagan from the Knights of the Night. At one point in time, he did the thing which I did to Phil once in our Ox game. was like, just let us talk for a little while. And, and Phil was like, fine. Like, he didn't even think about it. Like, yeah. he was like, yeah, just do that thing. Because, you know, I would let you do that anyway. I just wanted us to talk for a little while. But he told me that one time when I was running the games, like, just give us some space. I'm like, okay. And then I started doing that. And then I started hearing what was going on and listening to what was going on. And it gave me way more storytelling grist for the mill. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's really all. That's, that's pretty much what I have to say about, about that player thing. The, yeah, we started with reactive, reactive. But really, uh, there are techniques to at the table that you can utilize to make the game more interactive instead of just between the game master and the player. Because I think we could probably do better than that. As I mean, players, I mean the old games, the old game design theory back, old Gygaxi and stuff was the idea of the party caller, the person in the party sure. who, who announced. And I don't think that we necessarily need that kind of thing. But the one thing I did tend to do was, if you had a good, you had somebody who was good at leading, and you had them as your party caller, they would start to do some of that early active reactive stuff. If you had a group of people that were working together, because especially in the early days when I started gaming, when when you were basically playing with whoever you could find to be willing to game with you. You didn't always play with people that you knew very well. And having somebody at the table who could be the leadership active player could be useful still. I guess. I mean, yes. I mean, Back then it was. Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
We just didn't know that's what it was called back then. You're not there to tell everybody what to do. You're there to make sure everybody gets to do something and have has fun with the game. Anybody else say anything about playing players, plays, I saw interactions? Bob, I saw Phil pensively stroking his stroking his little beard, thinking about something. No, I mean just. I mean, I think the caller is a terrible idea. Right. I think it's, and say so. I agree. Say so. Yes. I mean, I think it's a terrible idea. I think it. I think. No, I said it, back it, then. Yes. Go ahead. It stifles interaction mm-hmm. between the GM and each player, which means that you can't quite tailor all of your interactions. I never liked it. I never used it. Right. Like we never, as kids, used it. It was. Um, I don't know. Some weird holdover from the wargaming days or whatever. I'm not sure what it was exactly. It was weird. It was weird. I like the mapper better than the caller. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the caller arose from the idea that. There were too many people at the table sure. yelling yeah. at the game master, and then and the game master was Gygax, and Gygax was like, "All right, this has got to stop. One of you is the only person I'm listening to in a fit of pique." Well, well if you <laughs> that's look, where the caller well, comes from. At, well, if you look at some of those modules too, they were like for six to twelve players. Yeah, I know. You know, so I I would imagine that you kind of and, and to be honest, back in my early days of gaming, well, my mid game days of gaming, when I was in my my mid teens, like thirteen to seventeen. We were playing games with eight to twelve players at the table. Yeah, uh, we, we were playing Rollmaster with eight to twelve players at the table. Uh, so sometimes it did help, but I I don't think that color is a good idea today. I mean, most games aren't designed for eight to twelve people. Like, can you play D anD D with eight to twelve people? Absolutely. Yes, but was it designed no. that way? No, not, it was actually no. designed no. for no. four to five players. And most games will tell you right up front what's a manageable number yeah. for this game. I don't think any game, any tabletop role playing game these days, is designed for more than really six players at the table. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think the only thing that breaks down at when you scale up to that size, right, is individual interactions, mm-hmm. right? It's harder to push 12 C-plots. You, you, you have to start four, yeah. yeah, you have to start foregoing certain pieces mm-hmm. of the game, right? So if, you're, if your thing is like, look, we're taking 12 people into a dungeon and we're going to go bust up some stuff. We're going to take 12 individual people into a funnel, right, and just eliminate them one at a time. Sure, we're all on the same plot, right? We're on the A plot, B plot together kind of thing if we're referencing the Dungeness story. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty easy. We're not going to get our C-plots. We're not going to get a lot of individual character stuff. We'll get little bits. They'll flicker here and there as mm-hmm. somebody says something funny, does something cool kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be the same. It's just mm-hmm. it's a scalability thing. Like I'm, I think every game scales up to a certain point. What you're getting changes. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, my preference is for, my preference is more character interaction. So I prefer to shrink games rather than scale up. But I don't know what to say about Ox. I don't think I'm doing anything. You are. You do plenty. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm doing anything special for Ox. Like, we're just running this thing. Mostly you guys drive. Most mm-hmm. of my job is to just kind of fill in some stuff. Like, I have story stuff. Like, when we get to our next disaster, right, we'll go back to having a thing you guys discover. Ox is all about yes and. Uh, the character Ox is all you. Maybe not on purpose, but have crafted a compelling story arc for an NPC that I care about as a player, not as just as a player character, but mm-hmm. like me as a player watching yeah, it, absolutely. want to see the story arc play out mm-hmm. of this ship, this sentient ship and its journey from being, I don't know what I am anymore to being a fully realized being in the universe. Yes. It's been really fascinating to watch mm-hmm. that occur and, and our part in it too. Not totally intentional. Sure. <laughs> the Ox campaign is of what I think we would in the car industry refer to as a just-in-time campaign. It has some rough ideas, as in a car has a rough idea of what it should be, like doors, wheels, engine kind of thing. Ox has a very similar idea of roughly what it should be, but it only gets assembled at the last minute. Yeah, Decisions about certain things are only made 
the week before the game. Mm -hmm. I hold very little of that game in advance mm -hmm. because what you guys do have direct impact on the shape of every step of the game. It, you know, and it goes into that thing where at the end, I always ask you guys, what are we doing next? Mm -hmm. Because those are the things I literally take that index card, put it up in a window, take out an empty page in OneNote and make headers out of all of the things you guys say and then fill them all in and then add some more like just in time story. And, and, and I think a lot of that is a, a direct result of the fact that we are purposefully doing something that we haven't really done before. Right. Like right? what? We specifically went in saying hey, there's no combat. Yes. yes. Yeah. All of our problems are going to be <laughs> solved by smarts and science. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then we also laid down the base conceit that you're going to do it. It's just a matter of how. There's no can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, can we do a yes? Yes, you can. But how are you? Chris almost tripped up on it and this week with the video. You're like, I can't fix that video. And I'm like, yes, you can. That one was a little bit of a <laughs> stretch one, from that everything one, else. That, that, one killed, that one killed me because of my real world knowledge. That was the problem. Yeah, yeah but there's nothing real world about. I know. No, but it, it's, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a like little bit Jerry of. It's a water question. He's like, that's not how that works. I have to make my trick my brain into not thinking that I way. I do have to say, yeah. though, in Knights Black Agents, it's almost always a benefit. It's almost never been a yeah. it's almost never been a hindrance. It's been a benefit for me. Those are clearly cooling towers. I'm like, all right, good well, to know. And I've said this before. No, you always leave the door open yeah, for me. Yeah, because because you're the GM, and this is something if you're a player in a game and you have more knowledge than the GM, don't go in with, oh, that's that. I go into those look like they might be cooling towers. So if the GM just wants to say, like, oh, I don't really want that, no, those just look like cooling towers, then you're fine. Coming up on nine months of this campaign, yeah. I don't even say anything about what's on the rooftop of the building. <laughs> I'm like, just wait till Jerry sees it. Then I'll know what I need to we, know. We got, off, we got off track. What was the point we were at? Um, uh, we, were, we were all over the place yeah, on this we, one. Yeah, oh, this was a good, this we, was a real point. Like, yeah, we was, were getting we somewhere were good. Oh, oh, we've never the, done this yeah, before. Yeah, we've never okay. done it before. Yeah. And, and because of that, it was an exercise. Mm -hmm. And it's an ongoing exercise in just table play. I will tell you the thing that I've never done before in this game that I'm doing is that I actually came to the table with a character that was pretty fully realized in my head with needs and wants and a potential arc, like a mm -hmm. real potential arc that we have been playing out, which has yes. been very satisfying. <laughs> now, me. did you oh, have yeah. that at the arrival of session one? You probably don't remember this, but I told you this before we even had session zero. I'm okay. like, this is the character that I want. This is the arc kind of arc that I'm looking for. This is what this character needs. This is what this character wants. You have, you probably have it written down somewhere, but that I'm was sure, nine months sure ago. Right? I'm sure it's on an Which index card the, somewhere. The want was he wanted to have uh, a relationship with Keoli. The need was that he needed actual family. Because he didn't trust anybody. Yeah. Because everybody in his life has either been taken, yeah. everybody in his life that he has trust has been taken away from him in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, manipulated, killed. Killed, yeah. yeah. Impressed him with spores. Well, and then we've done a really good job of actually playing it up a lot at the table. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah it's come up multiple, uh, multiple sessions. And it's... The arc is partially over because he's now in a place where he has people that he considers his family, or at least his close, close friends, even if he won't say it out loud, although he did say it all the last session. But now he doesn't know what to do with the people that he was with beforehand. So he's got a little bit of the hero's journey problem where he's like, he's gone on a journey and now he's back and he doesn't know where he fits into his old life anymore. Well, and also now we've, we've introduced additional NPCs now, and those aren't default trusted NPCs. No. Like beta is... Yep. That's not a character you can instantly trust. It's, you know, it's, the uh, main the main villain from the first arc of the campaign is now part of the group. So the, the the reason that I am playing that kind of different too is because Bob straight up said, I don't want this person to be somebody that comes up and eventually betrays us. 
I want this person that can be something that has a real actual redemption arc. Mm -hmm. I remembered that. Mm -hmm. So like I am playing into the idea that that is what we're going for. So I'm giving him every chance. Yes. Without being. Which is why he. Without giving him every chance. Which right? is why yeah. he apologized because he was a yeah. jerk in one of the scenes and yeah. he walked out of yeah. the scene. And then I was like, he needs to apologize here. He's still a jerk, but he's coming to realize that he's a jerk. But this is the thing dealing that, with it. This is the thing I'm talking about where it's active reactive. It's not just in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Bob mentioned that two months ago now. Yeah. And I am still playing off of the act. He took an action as a player, mm -hmm. what he wanted in the game. And I am still reacting to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Phil is still reacting to it. Yep. And Bob is still reacting to the thing that he did. And so is Jerry. Like yeah. we're all still, like, this is the game that got me on the idea of like, how can we at the table as players, like raise the game up to something that feels more like an actual story from a, mm -hmm. a novel or a TV show or a book. Absolutely. And, or a, I mean, a movie. And Sorry. for that kind of going back to what, Tom Flanagan said good, to you. Good point that you made. I'm trying. I like. I as much as possible try to keep space in that game. Mm -hmm. There are very few times, and I have a tool for when I need to do it. When I need to put pressure on you guys, mm -hmm. right? I have a tool, and you guys usually know when it's coming out, like for timed or pressure situations. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, a lot of it is, and and this is good for me because Ox as an NPC allows me to create space for you guys without me sitting there being bored. Ox is in your ear on the ship and is fairly pervasive. Like wherever you guys are, Ox is kind of there too, at yep. least in like audio. And so you guys, when you start having those moments, I can totally give you space and then I can switch into the NPC and I can inject humor, ask a question, challenge a thought, that kind of thing, and stay in the space with you. And then when we're ready to like do work, like move the game forward, I can pull back to GMing and, you know, help guide story. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but to Bob's point, we are like, we're trying all of these new things. Like yeah. these are things that we're yeah. not used to doing in games. And, yeah. and speaking strictly for myself, I, I think you guys to a certain extent at the very least are probably on board with what I'm about to say, but strictly for myself, from my own perspective, when we first started, we went in and we said, these are the conceits of the game. This is how we're going to do this. At the very beginning, it was like, what what is going on here? I don't understand. Why? How am I going to play this game? Why am I talking with this weird accent? I don't know. <laughs> but it was it was a struggle for like maybe a session, maybe a session and a half, and then it was like, wait a minute, don't fight it. It is so freeing as a player. The way we've got everything set up, you just go. Part of it, I think, is when we start designing our characters, one of the things after playing lots of role-playing games that have a, a, a martial aspect to them, being able to take a character and build a character and not have to worry at all about speed and strength and combat ability and gun, just being able to say, okay, none of that matters. I'm just going to focus on the personality and the uh, genius abilities of this character and not focus at all on any of the things that make most role-playing game characters important. That made a difference. Consider how much extra space each session has because there isn't combat. Yes. Right? In most games, combat has a certain flow. Even if you do a lot of talking and stuff, that tends to break down after mm -hmm. turns three and four. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you may start the game with a lot of chatter description, mm -hmm. and then, you know, six rounds into combat, it, like, it pairs down, it gets if simpler, it, it gets simpler. Long, yeah. Right. Yeah. In this game, there's just no combat. Right. There's just more interaction challenges things like that chris i disagree i disagree with everything that you just said about it because 
we don't have combat, but we have conflict, and our conflict's that timer thing. When the timer thing comes on the table, the game switches into a different mode of play, which is similar to what happens between whatever the phase that you want to talk about in a, in a game that has combat sure. to the combat phase. And in the games that I play, my combat phase, my combat situations often reflect similarly to what we do in our conflict situations. It's just because of our play styles that that is different. You know, I'm a game that has a martial component to it. Mm-hmm. I am talking just as much in character to the players as a uh, as a player or a game master during fights that as I am in our time situations with our problem solving for the timer. So I, I see what you're saying. I just don't think that it's correct because we're just playing the way that we normally play. I think there's a little bit of an abstraction, though, because most games with combat have very specific... Our um, dungeon world game plays exactly the same. Okay. That's why. Our, okay. our dungeon world games that That's we've fair. all played all play the exact same way that we get into a, into, a, into a conflict situation in office. Sure. Okay. I mean, that system, I think, more world than I that system makes that you do it because yeah. you have to actually yeah. say a thing in order to get an, a move. There is a disconnect when people put minis on a grid sometimes. And that that changes the way that people view the game. Yeah, that's the thing that can happen. I sure. think that's a yeah. different different issue, but, but not that's my that's my my counter argument. I could be yeah. wrong, but I think I'm right. But not having to design a martial character does give you fewer things to worry about when building your character. My character is built to do very specific things exceptionally well, just like I would do with a combat yeah. monster. I can program like a boss, and I can see patterns like no one else. Mm-hmm. I have built my character to do those things. I get out of the way yeah, when it that's... comes to engineering and when it comes to anything having to do with life science that's honestly not yeah, that you... different from i'm the i'm the gun bunny yeah and if it shoots i'm i'm the badass whereas i was honestly like, shocked you're that you're that bad at physics i know right that's so I funny. honestly well, see, i was honestly and, shocked and that was care. actually a thing that i made a point of early early which is why you don't remember it because it was so far back and it was only one statement in one session it was like this character is a machine savant if it's a machine no, no machine is too complex is my first distinction. Mm-hmm. If it's a machine, makes sense. I'm on it. Mm-hmm. So the actual physics, I'm like, eh, whatever. Like, that part doesn't matter because I can make it work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For me, the first four weeks, it took me a long time to get past the idea that um, the can I do it as opposed to how. For the number of times that Phil said, no, 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 you can do it. How do you want to do it? Or, or in Gree's case. How do you want to mess it up really bad and continue? <laughs> how do you want to? How do you want to make it way more interesting than it should have been? That's <laughs> the interesting space of that game to explore. Is sure. like, yeah, you're super geniuses. So yes, can you do a thing? Sure. Is it going to work? We'll find out. Yeah. Is it, yeah. are there going to be consequences for doing <laughs> or it? Complications. Exactly. Yeah. Almost. That's always. that's the interesting space of the yeah. game. It, it would not be fun to be like, I'm a super genius. Yeah, but you can't do that. Can't yeah. do that. So again, watch Scorpion. Yeah. So so. For all the reasons Scorpion makes me mad, sorry. That's... So so to close this all off, yeah, we're sure. talking about characters and like yeah. doing new things and how it's stretched our playstyles. I think it's just accentuated some of the things that we do very well. Mm-hmm. This game has really brought out some of the and some of the things that we've been trying and some of the new things that have been there have brought out some of the things that we do best at the table. Mm-hmm. Sure. I actually am enjoying a game that you can't, when in doubt, default to blow it up. I really like the idea that, and it's happened a few times because you guys have talked, like you guys are talking about doing a heist. But Box you're like, but the conceit of the game is you're gonna have to do a heist with no violence. Yes. Yep. You're gonna have to mm-hmm. be that smart, which you are all capable of. Yeah. But it's going to make for an actually really interesting take on the heist because inevitably in a heist, all the way to leverage, since there is a character class in leverage, the hitter, the hitter yeah. right? Which is when all else fails, yeah. punch something, punch your way out. 
you guys won't have that option. It'll be fun to see how that's going to play. This actually brings me back to real quick. Gamers who don't know not to play by that they have to play by the rules. When I've run first time we ran, I ran fifth edition D and D, and I had players that were using spells in ways that were not at all described in the book because they didn't know the rules of the game. So they thought, oh, it's Mage Hand, we can do this with it. It's Chill Touch, so I should be able to free stuff with it. Yeah, but that didn't matter. You know, I like the- way to pick the most con- one of the most controversial examples. <laughs> Chill Touch. It's necromancy, <laughs> man. It's life force, not cold. I don't okay, know. Sorry, go. Just my, move on. My players on. wanted free stuff. They got the free stuff. Let them do it. But that's that's the thing is when somebody doesn't know the rules, sometimes it's interesting to watch the things they try to do. And if you let them do it, it'll often give you better ideas as a GM on what they want to do and where to move the story. How forward. do I close this off now? Go ahead. I don't know how to. The most dangerous like... fencer is the inexperienced one, right? Like... Sure. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any event, Ty, somebody we, we've learned a lot from locks, and and there are there are plenty of ways that you can elevate your play at the table, um, especially yeah. if you work together. There we go. Yes, there we go. Nice job, Bob. Good job. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you. We'll be, you'll listen to us next week because we're on break right now. So uh, yeah. have fun. We'll talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.